will be changed. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. You may be seated. There's a, um, an idea, maybe it's more of an ideal, really, or both, that I want to just bring to your attention because the Holy Spirit told me to. But you won't have time to do it to right now, but the illustration will so strike your thinking that you'll want to do this as quickly when you get home. And this, because it will take more time than what I could give you just in a minute tonight. So let me just give it in the form of an illustration, you know, as, as if, if we were going to do this. Okay. If I were to say, pull out paper and, and write down for your eyes, if I were to ask you under the direction of the Holy Spirit, I mean, this is God telling us to do it, to write down on paper. Now, you can't do it tonight because we don't have the time for it, but you're going to do it before you go to bed tonight. You, most of you won't be able to sleep without doing it. If I were to ask you to write down what you would do with your life if all of a sudden you could start over. Let's just be realistic. Just start over with high school graduation. You just got out of school. You know, high school, those kind of seem to be things that are dictated to us more than, you know, college is optional, you know, whether you're going to, what you're going to do and that kind of thing. But what would you do with your life if you could do it over? And, and, and add this to it, if money was no object and health or strength was no object. You know, wasn't a, wasn't a hindrance, in other words. You had all the money. You could just do whatever you wanted to do. What would you go after? What would you go after if you, at the age you are tonight, not everybody's old. I talked to a young man yesterday that's 45 years of age. Before you think that's real young, just remember that's old as he's ever been to him. Yeah. It is old. And he just, conversation was with me that, you know, I just feel like I've wasted my chance and, and life is over for me at 45 because I, I just failed to do everything God's ever told me to do. So the Holy Spirit said tonight, what if you were to write down what your life would be like? What would you do? Maybe more. What would you pursue if you could start over? And, and when you write that list, when you have ample time to do it, that's exactly, precisely what you need to be going after today at whatever age you are. Absolutely has no matter of age or what your finances presently look like. That's exactly what you need to begin to pursue at the age that you are. You know, if it was to have a happy home, then you need to start pursuing a happy home. If it was to have, and that'd be certainly, that'd be one of them. Uh, how many of you could make life better for the people you around? Amen. Well, then Amen. begin to do that. Pursue that. If it was business, your own business, or some idea, or some different vein that you would have went after in career or something like that, then that's exactly what you need to pursue. Amen. Those things that you would have do. Amen. And, Amen. And what the enablement, this is my job to talk to you about tonight, the enablement for that and anything else is the Holy Spirit and the Holy yeah. Spirit alone. The Christian life is the simplest life. It's the most simple life. But it's so complex that it's an impossible life without the Holy Spirit. It's simple. Now, that's a paradox. You know, we use that word paradox. That means it's an inconsistency to say that the the Christian life is so simple that we probably stumble over its simplicity. Paul was concerned about the church at Corinth. He said, I'm concerned that Satan might have deceived you and pulled you away from the simplicity that's in Christ. It's so simple. Christianity is so simple that we probably stumble over that simplicity, but yet it's so complex, it's impossible to live without the help of the Holy Spirit. And I know that sounds paradoxical, but, but that's just the way everything about God is, is everything He's asked you to do is you're unable to do it without Him helping you do it. But that list that you would make thorough if you had the time to do it, and if you take the time to do it, you'd be one of the smartest people on the planet if you'll take the time to do it. And then say, okay, Lord, me and you, Holy Spirit, we can do this. And here we go. You know, we talk about Colonel Sanders, you know, and and how he did that. Have you ever read the list of what that man was going through? And I I forget what all it was that 
At, uh, I think it was something like at 16, he had dropped out of school. At uh, 17, he had already lost four jobs in his life. At about 20, he became a father. At, you know, 21 or 22, right in those early years, about 22 years of age, his wife left him with their daughter. At uh, some point in his life, I mean, he just went, had everything he tried failed, 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 failed. He, he was a conductor. We talk about that. His experience in Jasper, Alabama was he was a train conductor for a while. He failed at that miserably. Everything he did, he failed at. And when he retired at 60-something, he was ready to commit suicide when he got that first retirement check, $105. And he decided that he was going to leave a final note. Now, just think about it. Here's a man that had failed, failed, failed from the time he was a teenager, preteen even. He failed about everything. His whole life was a record. He even, tr- he even tried to kidnap his daughter back and failed at that. Just failed at everything. He eventually did convince his wife to come back and bring their daughter to him. That was some years later in his life. But my point was at 65, at retirement in his day, at 65, he was suicidal. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go sit out under a tree. He looked out in his yard out, out the way in the pasture or whatever it was. He said, I'm going to go sit under that tree. I'm going to write a goodbye note and I'm going to kill myself. And when he went out under that tree, he started to make a list of everything he had failed at. And this one thing kept jumping up in his heart as one thing that he could do better than anybody else. And so instead of writing a suicide goodbye note, he wrote a chicken recipe. He said, I can fry chicken. So he borrowed against that, he borrowed $85 against that $105 retirement check, monthly retirement check. He borrowed $85 on it, bought some chicken, followed his recipe that he'd learned from his mother, and began to go door to door trying to sell that to his neighbor. Well, long story short, by the time now that was 65, by the time he was in his early 80s, he was a billionaire. Wow. So I'm just saying, where are you today? You're probably not suicidal. You don't look like, some of you look sad, but you don't look <laughs> suicidal. Probably not, you don't have that many records of failures. Maybe you feel like it, I don't know. But whatever it is, that list that you and the Holy Ghost would write with His enablement could actually make you to become anything that you would put on that paper. Amen. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about tonight is trust in the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about being led by the Spirit. I had a, <laughs> I read something today. I'm talking about funny. I'll just tell you something kind of funny. Y'all don't mind funny. Just try to see if I can pull something out of any of it. There was a man that sold coffins for a living. You know, he was worked at a funeral home and he sold them and he was going to deliver one and his vehicle broke, broke down. And so he had to get it where it was going. And so he just, you know, it was an empty coffin. So he just pulled it out, put it up on his shoulders and took off running down the road with it, trying to get to his destination. And the policeman stopped him and said, what on earth are you doing? He said, I was buried back yonder and I didn't like it. I'm relocating. <laughs> and they said the policeman fainted. <laughs> That's true. I read that today. Christian life is not meant to be complex or, or difficult. It's very simple, as we said, but no one can live it without the help of the Holy Spirit. The only one who can actually help you live the abundant life, and I want to emphasize that term, the abundant life, I want you to start thinking about the Spirit-filled life is the abundant life. Or in other words, the Spirit-filled life. We talk often about the abundant life. We preach it so freely that most any Christian thinks, oh, I can have the abundant life. Jesus came to give me life and life more abundantly. What did He come or who did He come to give you more than anything else? Holy Spirit. So the abundant life is not something apart from being full of the Holy Spirit. That's right. Amen. The abundant life is the Spirit-filled life. 
And so when he said, I came to give you life that you might have it more abundantly, it means I came to die and pay the price so that you could have the Holy Spirit so you could have life yes. till it overflows. Start looking at the abundant life as a fulfillment of the Holy Spirit's impartation in your life. Start seeing it that way. So the only one that can help us live the abundant life is Jesus himself because he baptizes us and he empowers us with the Holy Spirit. A verse that we're all familiar with, everybody in here is very familiar with, Romans 8, 14, it says for us, now this is just a quick thing because you already know it, so I'm not going to turn it. But look at it tonight real closely. It says, as many, now this is written to the church. You know, this is, uh, notice the book of Romans is an epistle. That means it's written to Christians. Amen. It's not written for the world. It's written directly to Christians. That thrills me because whenever you read an epistle, that was one written by the Holy Spirit. You used Paul or Peter or John or Jude, whoever it might have been. But it was written directly to me and you. Amen. You ought to say amen to that. It, th that epistles were written directly to you. Amen. That's the purpose of the, of the epistles. So he says, as many of us that are in this room tonight, that could, we could just take it like that. Maybe not everybody's doing it. But as many as are led by the Spirit of God, and I emphasize the word led. You read that with me, would you? As many as are what? Led by the Spirit of God. That word led, Rick Renner says, who is a Greek scholar, said it's the same idea, the word led, as if you put a noose around a cow's neck and led it out to grazing. In most cases... I'm just thinking of uh, things I've seen, but in most cases, it's not true in all cases, but most cases, a cow that would be domesticated and trained in that is not fighting the noose. Right. And that's the, that's the idea that I think that we're trying to see in the Greek. It's not a cow that's fighting against the noose and, and God, Holy Ghost is pulling on us. Because if you're that kind of cow, Holy Spirit's not taking you out to graze it. Right. You need to see that. But if you're the one that he can put a, a noose, you know, or, or, is that halter, is that a better word for it? Halter around the neck or whatever. And, uh, and just lead you out. That's how the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. Now think of that when you read this. Now again, let's read it together in unison. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So once we're truly led in our day-to-day -day decisions, every decision we make, if it's inspired, comes by the aid of the Holy Spirit, then we're qualified for this verse. But it's not just talking about led by the Spirit of God as to which verse to read today. He's talking about day-to-day -day decisions. Right. So as many of us are led by the Spirit of God in day-to-day -day decisions, we're going to begin to experience life as God intended it. Amen. How? Look at the last part of the verse. As the sons and daughters of God. Amen. Now, life is a whole lot better when you live it as a son and daughter of God. Amen. Think about that. There's certain privileges. I was thinking about worship just a minute ago. I'll probably share this Sunday because this jumped up in my heart because of the things we're going to talk about Sunday. But you know why, you know why worship should be... Um, I don't know the word to use, extroverted. It should be flamboyant. You know why worship should be big from you? It's because it's in response to how He's acting. See, the Scripture says that God... I've read this to you about several months ago. There's a Scripture in the Old Testament that says God twirls over you and shouts with explanation. Just happy and joyful. That's the way He greets you. Have you ever been excited talking to somebody that looked like they had just uh, took seven or eight uh, Tylenol and, and they're just kind of like this looking at you? And you're saying, oh, you know, I'm so happy about this. And they're looking at you like they're not. Now, a parent, a good parent, would never do their children that way. You know, if a child comes and says, Daddy, i got to show you something, you just get excited with them and show them back. Well, that's kind of the way you're supposed to respond. If somebody's glad to see you yeah. and you're sitting there like, yeah, you know, I was at a, I, I performed a wedding one night out in an outdoor area. And, and afterwards, I went to, to uh, the groom's father was over there and I went to speak to him and I was excited to see him. And brother, I mean, he wouldn't shake my hand. I, my hand was that. He, wow. he just ignored me and hated me. And 
I don't have to deal with it anymore, but I ran into that all the time. But I was trying to, you know, just thought maybe this would be the time that it won't be that way. But people are like that. And, and it's really hurtful when you got your hand out and somebody won't respond with that hand. You know, you're joyful to see them and they don't respond. Well, worship, your best effort in worship is only a response to what he's already doing. He's twirling over you. And so just think about that, you know. And so here the Holy Spirit is ready to work in our lives Mm -hmm. and he's ready to lead us. And life, I want to say it again, life is better as a son and daughter of God because he's he's reaching out to you, man. He's he's making things available to you and the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of that. All you have to do is say, okay, now it's not, it's not, it is and it's not. It's a paradox. It's easy and it's hard in the sense that it takes dependence on Him. But just think, if there's only really one thing you say and do, just learn to say, okay, I'm going to be led by you. And immediately, you start reaping the benefits of the sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters of God. What do you mean benefits? Well, you know, there's an inheritance that belongs to us. I could name you hundreds, and you could do the same, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that have died in Walker County that they did not call me to the reading of the will. I wasn't in on it. But when my mother and father died, there was an inheritance involved in that. Does that make a difference to you? And that's why he's saying there's an inheritance that belongs to you. If we're led by the Spirit of God, we're the sons and daughters of God. That's that's an exciting verse. If I can just learn to yield to his halter. Noose, I don't know, noose might not be the right word to say. But if I can just learn to live by whatever he's saying to do. And we're going to look at that tonight just in the scriptures. So once you're truly led in day-to-day decisions, you start experiencing life as he intended it as sons and daughters upon the earth. Well, again, look at the screen. A couple of other translations of that verse. CEB says, all who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. All right, now one more. Easy to read version says, the true children of God are those who let God's Spirit lead them. And I, I guess if I could emphasize one word in that, it's the word let, which is the same as allow. Or permit. The true children of God are those who let, allow, or permit God to actually lead them. Say amen if you can see that. So this verse that we're looking at is our invitation then into life or the abundant over-the-top living that God intended for us to have. It's a new and better life. We know one scripture where Jesus talks about, I've came to give you life and life more abundantly. We'll look at that, of course, John 10.10 in just a moment. We'll have to look at it again. But he says, I'm going to give you new and better life than you've ever dreamed of. So look look at that verse again. We'll go back to King James just because we're so familiar with it. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are now set up for life till it overflows better than they've ever dreamed of. That's what he's indicating there. So he's telling us that's available to us. It's a new and better life than we ever dreamed of. Now here's a big one. Look at the message translation. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? Now this is more than just that one verse. This is the message you always read at paragraph form, so it's reading verses around it. We don't owe the old life one red cent that you came out of before you made Jesus Lord life. The best thing to do is to give that life a decent burial and move on. Get on with your new life. God's Spirit is beckoning. There's the invitation. There are things to do and places to go. Now, the reason I wanted you to see this in the message translation, thank you, Angie, for that excitement because that's what I feel tonight in my spirit. Look at that last phrase that underlined. In other words, he says, bury the old life, get on with the new because there's things to do and places to go. In other words, God's got a better life than what you ever dreamed of. That, that list, that paragraph, that page, that story that you would write if you could do life over, that's what he's talking about. There's things to do, places to go, all you couldn't do in your life. Now it's time to do it with God. Let's get busy. But you've got to give that old life a burial. You know why you and me are not going to return to sin? Because we're dead to that life. 
why would, how can I that's dead to it, that's what he says, this is Romans, but how, in Romans 8, but this is Romans 6, he says prior to this, he says, you're dead to the old life. How can you that are dead live any longer in it? Sin is not a temptation to the man that recognizes that he's dead to sin and alive to God. That underlined phrase at the end of that paragraph there in the message is really should be the most exciting point of our life is every day we get up, we say, hey, places to go, people to see, things to do. God's got a better life for me than what I could ever plan for myself. Amen? So if we look at being led by the Spirit, then here's something you ought to write down. It just, I ought to think about it. The adventure begins. If you start being led to the Spirit, all of a sudden your life is going to change. A friend of mine down in Melbourne, uh, not, not Australia, but Melbourne, Florida, is having a camp meeting right now, and several of my friends are preaching for him, and, and I've been listening to some of them online. And I think it must be the theme because everybody's talking about change. You know, and the Holy Ghost can just change anything. You ought to believe that. He'll change it and make it good for you. Amen. So it's always a, an adventure. Listen, here's a quote by a medical doctor. A medical doctor made this statement. He says, since I've learned how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in His power, the Christian life has become a great adventure for me. Now, that was just a medical doctor that said that not long ago. Just since I've been filled with the Holy Spirit and learned how to walk in His power, the Christian life has become an adventure for me. So we often hear people talk about what it is to be Spirit-controlled, Holy Spirit life-controlled. What does that really mean? And and that's what we're going to look at tonight. How can we know that we're really being led of the Spirit and not following something else? I heard a man say this, and I wrote this down because I thought I ought to tell you, but the way he put it, he said, many, many Christians are really living life out of control, and they don't even know it. Out of control of the Holy Spirit he's talking about. In other words, we're out of control. It don't seem like it to us. It seems normal or natural to a person that's constantly yielding to the flesh. See, that's what a life out of control is. A Christian's life out of control is one that's constantly yielding to the flesh. But if you've yielded to the flesh all the time, that seems routine to you. It don't seem a danger or a threat to a person that doesn't read the Word at all. Because they say, I've lived this long without doing it. I don't see why I should start now. But you've got to ask yourself, have I really lived without it? So a lot of Christians are out of control in the sense that they've never really yielded to the Holy Spirit. They don't know what that is. They don't know what it's like to actually hear the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow His voice. So therefore, they've never really experienced the good life, not the kind of good life God really intended for them to have. If you've been living in spiritual defeat or powerless or wondering whether or not there's any validity to the Christian life, sometimes Christians go through that. I, like I say, I just got off the phone with a guy yesterday, 45 years of age, that was going through that. I, I just don't know if it's, you know, you know what he told me? And, and that's just not a put down because, I mean, a lot of Christians are there. He said, Brother James, he said, to be honest with you, he said, I don't want to pick up my Bible and I don't want to pick up, he used to listen to Brother Hagin and different people. He said, I don't want to listen to, no, I don't read no good books. I don't want to pick up my Bible anymore. I said, why would you say that? He said, because every time I do, the devil just jumps in the middle of me and it just seems like my life gets worse. Well, the devil's not going to quit because you get diligent. And he's certainly not going to quit because you get lazy, lethargic. The idea is you just got to outplay the devil. You know, I, I was thinking about that today. I, know, I told you this on a Sunday, but I was telling James because he had one particular teacher that just had a tough curriculum in their in their in the school, you know, and, and it just was tough and, uh, and it just hard to study. And, you know, he'd get the study sheets and you'd learn it one way. And then he had asked it another way. And, and, and his response was, and I'm not fussing. I'm just telling, you know, he was kind of teaching. Susan, Susan took the same courses in college and said college classes weren't that hard. And so he's making it tough, you know. And, but I said, James, I said, there ain't nothing you're going to do. They're not going to fire him because you don't like him. 
They're not going to fire him because you made a C or a D. You're just going to have to, uh, it's just, I, what I meant was, I don't mean you're going to go fight your teacher. What I meant was you're going to have to outsmart him by studying harder than he thinks you will. You're just going to have to study harder and do it. And, and then you're better prepared for the future. There ain't no, no problem with that. And you, one day you'll thank the man for it. Probably not to your 40 or 50, but one day you'll thank the man for it. You'll see some good in it. I mean, you know, just because it made you tougher, you know. Anybody remember the song about the man named Sue? How do you do? Okay, not enough of you to talk about it, so we'll move on, all right? It made him tough. That was the idea. So what does it mean to be out of control for a Christian? It means to be caught up in the works of the flesh and probably not even realize that you're being led by the flesh and not by the Spirit. Either your flesh or your, the Holy Spirit is going to lead you and you have to decide which one. There's no such thing as you in between doing the calling and the shots. There's just no such thing as that. People ask me all the time, say, Brother James, I, I, I don't know whether, they say, I don't know whether it's God telling me to do it, I don't know whether the devil's telling me to do it, or whether it's just me. And they're confused by those three opinions. Is it God, is it the devil, or is it just me? Well, I've got to get you to understand this. Take yourself out of the equation. There is no such thing as you. You are an empty vessel when you're born on this planet and, and you're put here to be filled with God, but the devil's quickly trying to take that place. Some of you know what it's like to yield to the devil because he brought hardship into your life. And Paul talks about that. We're ashamed of those days now and we wouldn't go back to him for anything. But most of you know what it is to let the devil call the shots in your life for some period of time or even if it's just for one decision. How many of you know and don't want to go back to that? Well, here's the idea. Take yourself out of the equation. So it's now it's a whole lot easier. It's either God or the devil. Well, how do I know which one? Well, Jesus said in John 10, 10, that we're going to read in a minute, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. So you have to ask, is this producing death in my life or is this producing life in me? Is this, is this causing me to have a hope in a future or is this robbing me of hope of a future? And it's an easy line. It's just, you know, a good friend of mine, Glenn Israel, he, he used to be a missionary in Mexico and then he went to Haiti, just powerful man of God. And he said this years ago, it just stuck with me 30 years, maybe 35 years ago. He said, the, bo the bottom line is in the things of God and the things of the devil, just realize it's a good God and it's a bad devil. There's nothing in between. Good God, bad devil. It's an easy division when you get yourself out of it. But a lot of Christians don't know that they're out of control because they're yielding to the flesh and just haven't realized it. So if you're one of those that have been like this man that I was talking to on the phone the other day, yesterday, he was kind of sort of questioning the validity of, is Christianity even helping me? It seems like it's hurting me. It seems like the more I get into it, the more problems I have. Well, it does cause more devils sometimes to come against you. The Lord showed it to me like this years ago. When I started out, I had, I had enough problems before I got saved at 20 years of age. And then when I got born again, my problems increased. And I was ready to quit over too. Is there any validity to this? Is there any legitimacy to this serving God because I've got more problems than I had? And then the Lord began to show me. He said, son, it's like this. He said, it's like every day before you got saved, you had a task of walking 50 miles. Every day you got to walk 50 miles. Well, that's a, a virtual impossibility. He said, but that was what you had before you got born again. He said, but now when you got born again, spirit filled, he said, the mileage increased to 500. I said, well, that's not good. He said, I'm not finished. He said, but I give you a jet airplane now. And you can fly 500 in just a couple of minutes nearly. I mean, you know, in a short time, but you can't do that walking. He said, you've got a bigger task, but you've got greater ability. 
Come on now. Holy Spirit's our helper and our guide. Well, now I keep reading around this. Look at John 10.10 10 on the board. You know, this is where Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Please look at this in the message translation. He said, I come so that they could have real and eternal life, Jesus said. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. Amen. Now I want you to think about that as a new thing. You say, well, I've read that scripture a lot of times, brother. You hadn't read of it thinking about this is the Holy Spirit working in your life. Look at this. I came so that you could have the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit would give you eternal life and you'd have more and better life through the help of the leadership of the Holy Spirit than what you could ever dreamed of. But you've got to yield. See, you're not going to have that abundant life without the help of the Holy Spirit. So look at it again. This is another one. The Passion Translation of Jesus, John 10.10. 10. I'm just reading the last half of the verse. He said, I come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. But that's what the Holy Spirit's job is, is to bring all that to pass in your life. So life till it absolutely begins to overflow in us. Amen. So start looking at all these. Now look at John 14. Here's the scripture I want you to turn to. John's Gospel, chapter 14. John chapter 14. Let's see this one tonight. And, and now we're going to read. This is why I said all of this. Is to hopefully you'll read this in the light of, this is the Holy Spirit working with me. In verse 12, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is John 14, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. Now, is that you? If it is, respond. Say, okay. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you, he and she that believes on me, Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's in you. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. Now, what did he do if he went to the Father? I'm going to send the Comforter, right? So the Holy Spirit is there to help you. And because the Holy Spirit's there to help you, now verse 13 says, with the Holy Spirit's help, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Yes. Now, Brother James, is he really talking about the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I'll just skip down a little bit to verse 16. I'll pray the Father and He'll give you another comforter. Yes. See, he's talking about the Holy Spirit and He's going to abide with you forever. In fact, read the rest of that. Let's read 16 and 17. He said, I'll pray the Father, and this is Jesus talking now. This is why I'm going to the Father, and you're going to be able to just have anything you ask is because the Holy Spirit's coming. He said, I'll pray the Father, and He'll give you another comforter, just like I've comforted you on this earth for three and a half years, talking about these disciples. Now God's going to send another comforter. He's going to abide with you forever. He'll never leave you. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it doesn't see Him, neither knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you, and He shall be in you. See, that Holy Spirit's going to live on the inside of you and He's going to call the shots from within or from the inside. So trying to live by your own fleshly efforts becomes very complex, difficult, and impossible to live. But when you ask the Lord Jesus to direct your life, Jesus simply gives you the abundant life within you through the Holy Spirit. So again, what we're looking at tonight is the abundant life is the Spirit-filled life, the life of faith. Here's another statement that maybe will strike you a little different. The life of faith. We talk about faith all the time in this church. The life of faith is the Spirit-filled life. It's not apart from that. You can't have your faith life without the Holy Spirit. If you do that, then you'll start reading scriptures like about faith, for example. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, you, you start reading it like this. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, because I've got this Holy Spirit living within me, I can say to that mountain, see, it's not apart from the Holy Spirit. It's not just some life, you know, I choose faith, but I don't want that Holy Spirit stuff. You can't, have, you can't choose between the two because the... Faith life is an absolute impossibility to say to mountains and then move without the help of the Holy Spirit. All you need is His leadership. Faith in the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you into real life that overflows. Another scripture I want you to look at, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, real quickly. Is this helping anybody? Your biggest 
key factor tonight in your, your success of anything could be just your willingness to yield to the Holy Spirit yes. to lead you. Yes. And I'm going to talk about that word yield in just a minute because that yield is a peaceful word. Yes. Yield is a, is a kind word. It's, a, it's not a forceful word to yield. It means just to kind of become soft and pliable, really. Amen. We'll look at that in just a minute. Being led by the Spirit is not a bondage life at all. You know, that's why maybe I shouldn't use the word noose and I said just a halter, but it's, it's okay. If a train that was created to follow tracks, just think of a train on the tracks. He said if that train was to get a mind or a will of its own and say, you know, I'm really sick of riding these rails. You know, I've run these rails. I have to follow these rails day in, day out, you know, and that makes me want to sing City of New Orleans, but since y'all don't like my singing, I'll move on. But he said, you know, the train that just follows the track, and he says, I'm sick and I'm tired of running these rails. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm jumping these rails, and I'm going to run down through the valley where there is no track. I want to go down that way. I want to go down by the river. I want to do this. Are you going to see that train running free? No. You're going to see that train only about five feet from the track in a total disaster. It's going to be a train wreck. Why? Because the train doesn't find freedom by leaving the tracks the train finds its real freedom by following the tracks it was designed to follow. You don't find, you and I don't find our freedom by getting out of the things of God. We find our tracks or our, our tracks of freedom by following the plan of God. And that's where real freedom is. Because then you actually follow, that's what I mean by tracks, you follow the life that you were designed to follow by the help of the Holy Spirit. All right, here it is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 17, he's talking about the nation of Israel and the veil being taken away in verse 16 so they can see. But let's just go with 17 and 18. It says, now the, the Lord is that Spirit. Think of the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, your King James says. Liberty, or another word for that, is the word freedom. So it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all with an open face, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, as we look in the Word, we're like looking at the reflection of the Lord. Now I want you to underline that phrase right in the middle, glory of the Lord. Because, see, the glory that you're changing into is just like Jesus Himself. Yes. You're looking at Jesus as the example, and you're then changed, the King James says, into the same image of the Lord, Amen. from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. We're going to read that, of course, in another translation, because I know it's going to help you. But just look at this. Free from what? See, He says, liberty's in the Holy Spirit. Well, free from what holds you back. Right. See, think of freedom. The train is only free when it follows the tracks right. it's designed to follow. Right. Free from a world of defeat that you don't belong in. Free to a world that you do belong in, a life of victory and success. Free from and free to. See, anytime you leave the word free, read the word freedom, don't just think about I'm free from something, but I'm free to something. See, I, I was standing up here uh, one day. You were doing, I guess, doing the offering and, uh, you know, taking up the offering and somebody was saying something about the offering. And I was standing right there where you're sitting, but we were all standing during that time. I was thinking about that scripture. Maybe the, whoever was talking about the offering said it, you know, about John chapter 8, 32. He said, you'll, if you continue in my words, you'll be my disciple indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Right. And I was quoting that verse. Maybe they had just said, I don't know, but I'm standing there during that time. And I was thinking of that verse. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And then it goes on down to say, and if the son sets you free, Jesus sets you free, you're free indeed. And I was thinking about those verses and getting just traditionally excited about them, you know, like whatever we just, oh, that's good verses, I'm free. And the Holy Spirit asked me a question I'd never thought of. He said, free from what? Oh, wow. And I said, sir, he said, free from what? Oh. And I said, I don't know. You tell me. I've learned never to try to answer a question when he <laughs> asks me because he's got something in mind. He already knows what I know. Right. 
And I said, I don't know. Free from what? I've never really thought about that. He said, free from being you. I said, well, then free to what? He said, free to be me. You're free from being you. And I realized it just all came as revelation. Standing right in that spot where you're sitting, that's why I'm pointing. But standing right there in that spot, it all came to me as revelation. Everything that I've ever been to myself had always brought bondage to me. In other words, the biggest problem, and really, truly the only problem I've ever had in my life is me. Don't look at me so innocent. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get this across to all of us. Our, our biggest problem has always been ourselves. And he said, but you're free from being you. You're free from the bondage of you trying to lead your life. You're free now to be me, God's freedom. That's what this verse is talking about. But before I read it in another translation, look at it again, at least the 17th verse. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And then he says in verse 18, to change us, freedom to change us into the very image of Jesus. Isn't that powerful? Well, so free from a world that you don't belong to and free to be in a world that our lives were actually meant to be in. Let's look at it in the message translation. The message says, they, talking about Israel, suddenly recognize that God is a living personal presence. We were singing about the presence of the Lord in a moment ago, worshiping Him as, as that presence is more dear to us than anything else. Nothing like your presence. Look at it again. They suddenly, talking about Israel, they suddenly recognize that God is a living personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. The laws of Moses. God's more than the chiseled stone. He's the presence behind that. See, he's, what he's doing in this third chapter, he's comparing the Old Testament law to the New Testament spirit of life. And he says, Moses had the law chiseled in stone, but they found out finally, if the veil's taken away, that God's more than a chiseled stone, a book of law. God is a personal presence. Let's read it again because I've got more to read to you out of the message. Keep reading. They suddenly recognize that God is a living personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, he's a living spirit, that old constricting legislation of the law is recognized as obsolete. We're free from it. All of us, nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of His face. And so we are transformed much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. So this is all about being led of the Spirit of God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, He leads us into this kind of liberty where we start looking like Jesus, enjoying life like Jesus, experiencing life like Jesus. Somebody shout amen if you can see that. Free to operate the way Jesus designed our lives to operate. So to be like Jesus is to experience, to me, a bold and adventurous life. Not a, not a sad life, but one that's led by the Spirit. We're warned by the Spirit to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now write this scripture reference down, then I'm going to put it up on the screen. Don't turn there. Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30 says, if you'll look on the screen, says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. Now, here's a big deal. See, he's telling us, he's warning us, if you will. Now, if we stopped preaching right where we're at, tonight we'd go home with, hey, the Holy Spirit's leading me into a better life. He's leading me into something good. But see, there's this warning. You got to be careful that you don't grieve him. So there is the possibility that a child of God can disobey him and look, look how it says it in these other translations. Let me read all this in, in the King James. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. Now look at all these translations. Please don't try to write them down. Just go to Bible Gateway and pick out something you like. Amplified says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That is, in the Hebrew it says, or Greek it says, do not offend or vex or sadden Him. Right. Right. Amen. You, you can actually do things not respond, or actually not do things. That's disobedience. You can do things or not do things that he's trying to lead you to do and do things, you know. That's why I said to you, what is it? Uh, 
Oh, oh, as we finished up Wednesday night a week ago, or might have been, might have been on Sunday, but I was talking, oh yeah, it was on a Sunday when I was talking to you about I dare you to become the strongest yeah, and healthiest. Yeah. And I think one of the final words I gave you that day was stop doing the things that God's telling you to stop and start doing the things yes. He's telling you to start. In other words, everything He's already led you to do, just That's do it. Right. That's the way it is in life. But He says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't offend Him, mm. the Greek says. Don't That's vex good. Him. Right. You, know, you know what it is to vex? Vex is to get somebody all tangled up. You know, James playing basketball, he had four games yesterday. You know, we were all day long in the basketball gym yesterday. And, of course, we enjoyed it. But, you know, and, and what do you say? When they're, when they're on the defense and the other team has the ball driving it down, I don't know what you're supposed to holler, but as a parent, you're supposed to encourage your child. <laughs> right. And so I'm hollering to the, I'm saying, come on, Eagles, mess them up. <laughs> well, you know, mess them up where they can't shoot, where they can't right. get it in there. Amen. Mess up their plays, right? Right, amen. I can see, boy, y'all are really excited amen. to find this out. But, but that's the idea is we mess up what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. That's what vex means. You just get him all twisted up. You mean I can twist up the Holy Spirit in your life? You're not going to stop him from working on the planet with others. And, and I'm telling you, you're going to learn as I show you these translations. You're going to learn how sensitive the Holy Spirit is. And I, and I heard somebody say the other day, now the Holy Spirit's not just a little old sensitive brat that's going to run off every time you do something. I, that's really not true. Brother Hagen, who knows more than me and you, Brother Hagin, you say it all the time. He said, I've learned it, and I've learned it in pastoring. It's the same thing in a church. When you're in church, you're sitting there, and you're not respecting the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will want to do things, and he'll fly off like a bird out of a tree in a service because you're not giving him the attention that that you should as a child of God. And you vex him. And then you're hindering the ones around you being vexed because somebody came needed a miracle. Somebody had a cancer. Somebody had a disease. Somebody needed an answer. And you vexed what the Holy Spirit could have been doing in a service. So he says, don't offend him. Don't vex him. Don't sadden him. Why would it sadden the Holy Spirit? Because he can't do for you what he is assigned to do. Keep going. Look at this. CEB, Contemporary English Bible says, don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. Look at CEV says, don't make God's Spirit sad. Another one, don't give God's Holy Spirit any reason to be upset with you. Can you realize, I I don't think that's been preached to us enough. The Holy Spirit can actually, you can be in your life, a day-to-day life, and the Holy Spirit's upset with you. Because you're disobeying Him or you're out of the will of God. Say, oh me or amen, one of the two. You can actually upset the Holy Spirit when He's upset with you. Now listen, I don't know about you, but when I'm upset with somebody, I don't so much as yield to them as I go to somebody else to get something done. I'm upset with them right now. They've got to work it out. And Susan said, well, don't you want to? I said, well, when they repent, I will. But they need to repent of that. Now remember, that's Jesus. Jesus said if a man sins against you 70 times in a day, 70 times 7 in a day, and repents each time, forgive him. But the repent's a big deal. What if he's not repentant? Well, I don't know. If he's not repentant, he's upset the Holy Spirit. I know that. And I don't want that Holy Spirit upset with me. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to act like he never has been. I'm sure he's probably been more upset with me over the last 40 years than not. But it's something that we need conscious on our minds that we can actually respond wrongly or just ignore Him. I think that's one of the biggest things about Christians is we ignore what He says to do. Just ignore Him off. Maybe we take advantage of Him. I think as we go further here, there's a scripture, at least I hope we'll get to tonight, because I was reading it today, where it talks about don't take Him for granted. Oh, now wait a minute. Isn't that what you do when you choose to sin? I'll do this for now, but the Holy Spirit will be waiting when I come back. Well, I know he will be waiting when you come back, but the Bible says don't take him for granted like right. that. Amen. So it must That's hinder good. something in our lives when we do that. So again, look at this. Don't give God's Holy Spirit any reason to be upset with you. Now that's living different than maybe what we do from day to day. Philip says never hurt the Holy Spirit. Right. You could actually hurt him. 
Living Bible says, don't cause the Holy Spirit sorrow by the way you live. In the Passion, here it is, I think it is. The Passion says, never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Everybody that's took for granted His holy influence in your life, say, oh me. Thank you. I now no longer feel like the Long Ranger. But every Christian has done it. I'm sure he has. And he's willingly, lovingly. But what may have... Don't, don't question. I don't think we need to spend all our time thinking about will he be waiting when I come back. He's proven that he'll be waiting every time we come back. But what we need to think is what did I forfeit during that moment of flesh? So the Passion says, Never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence. Another scripture I want you to turn to, Philippians chapter 3. Isn't this powerful? Now this is... Um, a big point because the Holy Spirit is warning us of this. Why this? I'm going to read this because if you're not yielding to the Holy Spirit, here's probably what you are yielding to. Mm, wow. And it's uh, what I'm about to read to you, and I've read it to you before. We all, we're, not, we're not new people in the things of God. We've, most of us have been around for a long time. We've read these verses. We've had them preached to us. We know about them. But the Holy Spirit calls them back to our remembrance from time to time. But the idea is what I'm about to read to you is probably easier to do to fall into than it is to fall into the habit of obeying the Holy Spirit. Mm, okay. But it's not easier in the sense that it's going to be without consequences. What I'm about to read to you brings horrible consequences to our lives. Amen. And the Holy Spirit's life only brings consequences of good, right. you know, Amen. as we've already read tonight. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start with the 18th verse. And Paul says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, I've warned you about these people, and now I tell you even weeping. Now this is something the Apostle Paul wept tears over. He said, I'm telling you about these people that walk a certain way, I've told you often, and now I'm telling you weeping that they're enemies to the cross of Christ. Now these are people that were involved in the church some way around people because Paul had to warn them to watch out for these people. He said, they're enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction. Y'all turn there with me, right? Yes, now, this, you see what I mean by the bad consequences? Right. Amen. What's the consequences to me doing this and vexing and hurting and upsetting the Holy Spirit and taking His ministry for granted? What's, what's wrong with that? Because you're, you're destroying yourself. Wow. Your end is destruction. Underline this if you haven't already in your Bible. Whose God, these people, their God is their own belly. Their own fleshly appetites is another way to say it. We'll read some of these other translations. In other words, this is, this is why it's so dangerous. It's because we've so trained ourselves to listen to our own self. Now, I've, I've, listen, you've done this too. I'm not alone in this. We've all, we've, all, we've all known this. Where we have seen somebody say the Holy Spirit's leading them a certain way and the Holy Spirit in you was grieved when you heard them say that because you knew that wasn't right. no more the Holy Ghost than, than anything. Because the Holy Ghost doesn't lead that way or this way or whatever, you know. And it grieved your spirit because you knew it. And this is what Paul's warning us about. You can get so used to it that you think it's God and all it is is your own fleshly desires. Oh, wow. Now here's a God. Here's a God. And look how paradoxical. You've got to be paradoxical. means inconsistent. This sounds. It, it's inconsistent because you have to have the Holy Spirit to interpret it. But here's a God that wants to give you the desires of your heart and yet you can follow your own desires and get in trouble. Now, what, what's the problem here? Because your own desires that He wants to fulfill are the desires that He gives you and puts within you. But the desires that you come up with your own are destructive to yourself. And so you have to be real careful. Now, let's read that on. We'll read the other translations that will help us. But let's just look at it. They're in, verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is their own belly. And, and we'll find that means fleshly desires and whose glory is in their shame 
and they mind or they're mindful of earthly things. They've got more goals of accomplishing earthly things than they do of spiritual things. Watch out for people like that. And Paul reminds us in verse 20, but our conversation is in heaven, not in the world. Don't make the mistake that they made and Jesus is our Savior and so on. And He's there to change us, verse 21. Where He says, watch out for these people because they're in this destruction. Think of it like this. Amplified says, their God, it says their God is their stomach. That means their appetites, their sensuality. See, they're led by their senses, how they feel, rather than by the Holy Spirit. Now, they do it long enough and stay in church long enough, they think that is the Holy Spirit. You see how dangerous that is? Well, the Holy Spirit led me to do this. The Holy Spirit led me. Well, you got to make sure it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's read it with that in mind. Keep going. Amplify. Their God is their stomach. That is their appetites, their own sensuality, and their glory in their shame, siding, getting on the side of earthly things and being of their party. See, getting on earthly things and in party or in cahoots with the world. This is Christians that get out of the things of God. Look now, CSB. CSB version. These people are focused, he said, on earthly things. It's a dangerous thing. Remember now, the consequences to it is destruction. The Holy Spirit never gets you to focus on earthly things. He gets you to focus on spiritual things that will bring all the earthly things you'll ever need in its right perspective, ever. So they're focused on earthly things. Now, here's the complete Jewish Bible, CJB. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their belly. They're proud of what they ought to be ashamed of since they are concerned about the things of the world. And you see Christians sometimes that fall into that category. Paul was warning them. You know, if they were outside of the church, Paul would never have had to warn people about them. These are people that get in your own company sometimes. And you have to watch out for them. They're concerned about the things of the world. Easy to read version, again, makes it a little bit plainer. Watch this. The way they live is leading them to destruction. They have replaced God with their own desires. Please, now that's where the amen or the oh me goes. The way they live is leading them to destruction. They have replaced God with their own desires. They do shameful things and they are proud of what they do. They think only about earthly things. Isn't that powerful? Well, again, the Message Bible, which is just one of my favorite. Take a couple of screens to show it to you, but watch this. There are many out there taking other paths than the one God's calling us to. Remember, He's leading us with the halter to lead us into the well, where is he? We know where he's leading us. Tender green grass, right? The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me into green pastures. Tender, and NIV, I think, says tender green grass for grazing. He leads me beside still quiet waters, peaceful waters. So we know he's leading us into good. But look at this message says, these people, you've got to watch out. He said, there are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals than the one God's got for them. Goals. And nothing wrong with goals unless that goal didn't come from heaven. They choose other goals. They're trying to get you to go along with them. Careful. I've warned you, Paul said, of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. Don't give me no Christian stuff to do. Don't, certainly don't give me a daily Bible reading. I ain't getting involved in the daily Bible reading. Don't tell the pastor I'm not reading. Oh, no, we can look at you and tell you're not reading the daily Bible reading. They hate Christ's cross. They don't realize they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. But easy street's a dead-end street, Paul warned. Don't follow that. Those that live there make their bellies their God. Belches become their praises. All they can think of is their own appetites or their own goals or their own desires. So it's a very, very dangerous thing. Can you see that? Now, on the screen again, look up here at 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Here's the scripture that tells us why we can't live our lives that way. 
this is big. Now, this is one you're familiar with. I want you to see it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? Paul says, don't you know that your body is the temple of who? The Holy Ghost, which is where? In you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Not your own. Message puts it a little bit different. Watch this. I didn't put it here, but let me just remind you. Here we're at the end of the verse where it says, you're not your own. The very next verse says, you've been bought with a price. Now, what was the price paid for you? Precious blood of Jesus, right? Going to the cross for us. Spending His life for ours. The innocent for the guilty. And so He said, you're not your own. You've been bought. Now, one translation says, you do not have a right to your own life to make your own decisions. People don't like that. Unless they know what it is to be led of the Spirit of God. A Christian that gets upset with that. I I was sitting with a, a couple one time. They were having marriage problems. It was severe. And they were ready to divorce. And they thought maybe I could help them some way. And they, they said, but the problem was, I say they thought I could help them. I don't think they was ready for it. They didn't want help. But I was reading some scriptures. I think they, they kind of felt like if they went through the church, then that would be their final straw and they could do what they want to do and you know, kind of check me off their list. Because they, they had a bad attitude. In fact, they're here tonight and I'm going to name them right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This was a long time ago in Fayette. I was reading, husbands, love your wives, you know, and so on, wives, submit to you. And brother, when I used that word, wives, submit to your husband, it was just the three of us in there, him and her and me, but I, it, you'd thought I stirred up ten women. That woman got mad. I mean, she interrupted me. I am not submitting to that man. Don't read that word, she said to me again. Don't read that again. Well, I understand there's some qualifications there. The Bible says submit to your husband as he submits to the Lord. You know, God never expects us wives, I'll say this, He never expects you to submit to a unrighteous husband that's asking you to do something wrong. God's always first authority, husband's only second. And, uh, and I understood that, you know, and I don't know what all went in their home because only, you only hear what they tell you, you know, and that kind of thing. That word submit scared. Now, but if a woman understood what it means to submit to her husband, and if the husband understood what it means to submit to God and have that responsibility, they, would, they were about to have honeymoon. Now they went on. I tell you what, you'd be surprised. I, I ought to finish that story. They did get it fixed. Amen. They did get it fixed. Amen. Uh, in fact, it's been a long time ago. They did get it fixed. They got back together, and they, they stayed together a long time. And I had not heard from them in years. I did find out one of them's dead. I don't know how they died. <laughs> so I don't know how fixed they got it. But I, do, I did find out through, uh, through one of their friends that one of them had died that was several years back. So I hope they kept it fixed. But they don't realize, you don't realize what you're... When, when you say, I don't want to submit to God. I'm not, what do you mean I don't have a right to my own decisions? I'm a man. I'm a woman. I've got a right to my own decisions. No, you're not. You've been bought. You are a slave. Now, you're not going to find freedom until you give your life. See, that slave is a... But you who have no right to your own life has every right to go right against it if you want to. Paradox and inconsistency. But what God's saying, you can do it if you want to, but you don't have a right to do it because there was a high price paid for you. Well, let's understand it. But it's all about leadership because he can bless you and you can't bless yourself. That's all he's trying to tell you. Well, look at it in the message right quick before we go home. He said, didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place? Do you not realize your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you, he goes on to say, the physical part of your life is not some piece of property belonging to you, belonging to the spiritual part of you that you can make your own choices. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. 
And that's what I want you to close with tonight is just look at that last phrase. I should have underscored it for you, underlined it. Let people see God through your life and through your body. That's the way we're really going to get a hold of uh, winning the world is when they see what a life is like. To Can I just say this in close? Here's why you and I have to be taught on this. Is because when we first came to Jesus, most every one of you, I, I believe this is true. I know it is of me, and I probably know it of most of you that I've seen come into the things of God. When we first came into the Lord, we were His property. Right. We Amen. knew it and we loved it. Yes. Man, I ain't doing nothing unless He tells me to do it. I'm not going out with her unless He tells me to go. I ain't going out with Him unless He tells me. I'm doing everything. But then we kind of learned somewhere along the way to start making our own decisions. Right. And we've got more consistent with that right. than not. Right? So we came to him. We knew when we gave our life, we're giving our life to Jesus. Yes. I'm just saying backsliding came later. So my point is, every time that you and I try to be a witness to somebody else, mm-hmm. they know when we're inviting them to come to Jesus, we're inviting them to not be in charge of their own life anymore. Yes. And the only way they're going to make that choice is they got to see a person yes. like me and you yes. that is so yielded to the Holy yes. Spirit doing what he's showing us in our life Amen. that our life is good and it's better tomorrow than it was today. Say amen if you can get anything out of that tonight. Jump to your feet with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So yield to the Holy Spirit so that they can see that your life is just that blessed. And what you're inviting them to is a very, very good life. Amen. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around just for a moment. Why don't we just repent of all that's been wrong tonight? Maybe the Holy Spirit pointed out some things to you. He did to me. He did to me early this morning. And it was very convicting to my heart. And I submitted some things to him that I realized I'd tried to take control of and they were just out of control. And if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer like something like I prayed this morning. You might want to customize it to fit more things the Holy Spirit's leading you to and you know you can certainly pray anytime and every time. But let's just do it as a church tonight. If you need it, if you don't, well, you don't have to. But if there's some things you could repent from, just say it. Say, Heavenly Father, I repent where I have not been Spirit-led. And I choose this night, June 19, 2019, say, I give my life tonight back to the capable hands of the Holy Spirit. And I mean it, Lord. I'm serious about this thing. You know me and you know my heart. Lead me. Teach me. I become submissive. In Jesus' name. Now we ought to be excited because we're about to be led into, we're about to be led into the abundant life. Something better. Something better than we've ever dreamed of. In Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, I ask you tonight, help every one of these men and women in this room tonight, children too, help every one of us to write down that list, Holy Spirit, that you would fulfill in our lives if we'd just get another running start with you. Thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name.